Now, remember what we're looking at. Came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. Now remember, Israel's an agricultural country. It, it lives on agriculture. It lives on the produce of the land. That's the way God planned for them. It's a good way to live if God is blessing. But you know what? When the Midianites come up and they come up with all their animals and they camp out on your land and they eat all your crops and they destroy everything else and they leave you with nothing, you know, you know what the nation of Israel is? Poverty-stricken now. They are poor. They are rich because God's given them a rich land for theirs, but they're poor because somebody else is enjoying it, not them. <clears throat> and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Right? So they were greatly impoverished, and they cried unto the Lord. They said, Lord, help us. Do you know what? It's a great day in your life when you come to the place, you cry unto the Lord. Lord, help me. You know, God has so fit life that you can't manage it by yourself. And from time to time, even when you're doing right, you're going to come to things where you say, Lord, I can't do this. Help me. And they cried unto the Lord. The surprising thing is it took them seven years to come. They thought they'd fix it themselves. They thought they could manage, but it kept grinding worse and worse and worse. So seven years later, uh, they're impoverished and they're crying unto the Lord. Isn't it amazing how long we can wait? Do, do, do you know that Jonah spent three days and three nights uh, in the belly of the great fish? Man, that was a bad place to be. And you know what? As soon as Jonah cried out to the Lord from the belly of the, uh, of the great fish, the, the, the belly of the great fish spat him out. He got spat out. But you know, he, for three days and three nights, he said, no, I will not, I will not, I want to die, I want to die, or whatever it was that was going on, he said, but he would not cry out. And finally, after three days, he realized he couldn't even die if God didn't want him to. Finally, he was so sick and tired of life in there that he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, yeah. Let's get back on target, Jonah. I think he was a bit whiter than he was when he went in, but it took him three days to give in. Now, we're stubborn. We can be so stubborn. You know, when you deal with your children, you know, children are amazing, and they're amazing in this, that they're so different. They are so different. One child, you look crossways at them and they're in tears and they, and they want to get things right and they want to make things right, you know, and, and, and they, they just, uh, they can't live with this. And another child, you tell them they've done wrong and they say, so what? And they will face off with you and they will be stubborn and you know what? Uh, what, they, what, what? What you're needing to do is you're needing to break their will, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to break your will. That's some interest. And you know, the same is true of God's children. Some will just stand against him and stand against him and stand against him. Nobody ever wins with God. He's God, for goodness sake. How can anybody win with God? Do, do, do you really think at some point God is going to say, okay, all right, all right, all right, I give in. This is too hard. Have your own way. That's the worst kind of judgment there when God says, have your own way. You never win with God. Listen, whenever you do wrong, get it right right away. Get it right right away. Listen, you don't wait till your devotions the next day. Listen, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was, that was bad. Lord, forgive me. And you know what? He will. He will. You know, uh, he, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just say, okay. He says, okay, it's forgotten. 
great in it? Why would we be stubborn and hold out on God? Why would somebody hold out on God for salvation? Why would somebody hold out on God with sin in their lives? <clears throat> That's ridiculous, but, but we do. And what we learn from the Bible is we learn how God deals with his people, but we also learn how God's people deal with, uh, with God. And everything I see in the Bible, I see in the church. Everything I see in the Old Testament, I see in the church in terms of God, people dealing with God. Everything, listen, you know what? We don't change. You know, we, we, we like to think we're better than those guys in the Old Testament, but we're really not. The only thing that's better for us is the Spirit of God indwells us. But you know what? If you won't let the Spirit of God have his way in your life, he might as well not be there. You're kind of running on dry. You're running without him. Did you... Did, <clears throat> no, that's a whole different thing. I've been like a caught up because we've got enough, we got enough here to look at, right? Um, but you need to let the Spirit of God rule in your life because that's what makes the difference for you. That's the joy and the blessing God has given you. But the Spirit of God won't force you to obey. You just need to let Him have His way. You need to let the Spirit of God have His way in your life. Don't, don't, don't stand against God. Israel were greatly impoverished, and you know, you can get greatly impoverished too. You can get greatly impoverished financially. You can get greatly impoverished in your family. You can get greatly impoverished uh, in your relationships. I mean, God's able. Have you noticed how able God is? Have you noticed how God's able to put his finger on the soft spot in your life? You know, listen, God's amazing. On all fronts, he's amazing. When he puts his finger on it, he puts his finger right on the spot. So you've got to understand that, that God's able to actually deal with you, right? So in verse 7, they cried unto the Lord, and here's what the Lord does. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. Now, let's remember that for a little bit here. What, What did he do for them? Remember they were slaves in bitter bondage? The Bible says their babies were being killed. They worked seven day week. They had no life, they had nothing, they were, and they had no hope and no future. Right? <clears throat> Things had gone bad for them down in, in Egypt. And, you know, was it kind of a combination of the nation of Israel and God together, working together, that brought them out of Egypt? Uh-uh. They weren't able. They couldn't escape. God destroyed Egypt to get them out. He just, he just took it apart piece by piece. He dismantled Pharaoh's kingdom. He destroyed all the firstborn and ultimately killed Pharaoh and his army in the sea to get them out. And and God left it in no uncertain terms. The Israelites did not fight to get out of Egypt. They walked out of Egypt. And not only did they walk out of Egypt, but God said to, to all the Egyptians, now listen, I want you to give them gold and jewels as they go. And they did. They walked out of Egypt rich and they did nothing. Listen, that was all God. That was all God. Now, you know, there's a picture there of, uh, of us and our salvation. You know, when we got saved, God did it all. He didn't do 99% of it. He didn't even do 99.9% of it. He did 100% of it. You know, <clears throat> you just were convinced of the Spirit that you needed it, and you said, yes, please. That's all you did. That's all it takes, by the way. And all it takes for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There's nothing, nothing hard about it. Uh, but it's all of him. God, and God does all the work in our lives. And by the way, just in the same way as he looks back to e- Israel and Egypt, and he, said, and he looks back often in the Bible, and he says, didn't I do this for you? He keeps harping, but didn't I, bring, didn't I deliver you? Didn't I open the Red Sea for you? Didn't I deliver you from Egypt? And, and what he's saying is, I 
am your God. Don't mess with me. Don't play around and pretend something else is your God because it's not. They didn't do Egypt for you. I did. And God constantly harps back to it. Now, if God were to talk to you and I in the same terms, he would, he would say to you, I saved you. You were going to hell. And I stepped in and I delivered you. What are you doing your own thing for? Why are you living like your life belongs to you? I'm the one that did it for you. I'm the one that worked it out in your life. You need to recognize that. And we do. We need to recognize that. Every day we need to be grateful. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for lifting me out of the miry clay and for saving me and for setting my feet on the rock. Thank you, Lord. Every day we need to recognize that. Israel kind of forgot. They forgot rapidly. Uh, Verse 9, And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. I said, what did God do? God took them into the, into the land of Canaan. And uh, <clears throat> remember when they took Jericho? God made the walls fall down. What was God doing? God was showing them, it's not your battle. I'm the one that's fighting for you. I'm the one that's taking care of you. I'm the one that gave you this land. And on one occasion, God sent the hornets to drive out the people so that Israel could take the land. Listen, God did amazing things for them, and he wanted them to recognize it. Uh, verse 10, and I, and, and I said unto you, and here's what he's always saying to his people, catch this, I am the Lord your God. Now, when God says, I am the Lord your God, what does he mean? What does that mean to you? I am the Lord your God. Does that mean he sits on a throne far away, and he's the Lord our God? Or does that mean he's in charge? When he says, I am the Lord your God, doesn't that mean I rule in your life? Submit. Isn't that what that means? Now, remember, he's never going to force you. He's never going to get you and put your arm up behind your back and say to you, listen, I told you, I told you you were supposed to serve me and you wouldn't. Listen, I'm going to make you serve me. He never does that. Never, ever, ever. He gave you a free will and he will not force you and he won't let Satan force you either, you know, because he gave you this thing called a free will. But he says, I am the Lord your God. Submit to me. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, he says, if I'm the Lord your God, then do what I tell you to do. Then submit to me, yield to me. That's what he's saying to Israel here. He's saying, listen, I am the Lord your God. I brought you forth from Egypt. I cleared the land. I gave it to you, and I told you what I wanted you to do. Basically, I wanted you to clear the land of all idol worship, and I wanted you to worship only me. And you didn't. And now you're in trouble because you didn't. Guess what? They should have worked it out a lot sooner than seven years. They were in trouble because what they had done is they had not obeyed his voice. Now, let me ask you tonight. How are you doing with obeying his voice? How are you doing with that? When it comes to obeying his voice, is, is that a big deal in your life? Or do you, you're going to have the attitude of, well, you know what, I mean, i got a lot going on in my life, a lot of stuff that doesn't fit in with the Bible, but you know what, I'm doing the best I can. Now, if you're not obeying his voice, let me tell you, he loves you if you're his child. That, that, that never stops. But let me tell you, he will deal with you. That's, it's a dumb proposition in our lives when we say, you know what, I think I can get away with this. Nobody ever does. We're dumb enough to try. 
we're dumb enough to actually try and to go against God and to, <clears throat> you know, refuse to yield, refuse to give in, and to end up in trouble. Imagine seven years of impoverish- impoverishment. Seven years when life was hard, hiding in dens, no food to eat. All the time that their food was being taken, all the time the enemy was in, the enemy was in charge. They, they were the tail and not the, uh, the, the head. They were, they were being ruled and, and, and not able to do what they wanted to do. And all because they had not obeyed the voice of the Lord. I wonder tonight, are you in a place where, listen, there's trouble in your life because you haven't obeyed God. I wonder, are you perhaps making choices in your life that are going to put you in the place where there's trouble in your life because you're not obeying God? You know, I, wonder, I, I wonder, are you going to be one of those people that goes out to prove uh, the truth of the Bible by living your life your own way and doing your own thing and seeing what God does? That's really not very clever. I mean, <clears throat> do, do you know why this was written? This was written to admonish you and I, Romans chapter 15 tells us. This is, was written for an example to show us what not to do and what to do. That's, what, that's why it's written. That's, that's why it's here. Right? <clears throat> Don't test God out in these areas. Uh, that's really not wise. That's not clever. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and if you have tested him out, learn the lesson. Don't test him out over and over and over again. That's, that's really foolishness. That's what Israel are going to do. They're going to have that cycle repeated over and over again. And by the way, <clears throat> we're not looking at that right now, but you know, if you were to look at Israel as they go through the cycle of sin, servitude, supplication, and then um, <clears throat> God delivering them, what you'll find is it's actually a downward spiral. That God delivers them every time, but not back to where they were in the beginning. By the end of Judges, right? Uh, the, the, the closing words of the book uh, say <clears throat> that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in the land. You have anarchy in the land. The final picture in Judges is, is, is the picture of the concubine being chopped up and sent around Israel. And it's, it's, you know, it's vile. It's a vile picture. What's happening is these people are going through this cycle and they're going down and down and down. That's what happens. When we don't do things God's way and we go against them, uh, he doesn't cast us off. He didn't cast Israel off. But, but what happens is, you know, we end up going down and down and down. But when we cry out and say, Lord, this is a foolish thing I'm doing. This is a foolish way of life. Lord, help me. He sends a deliverer. He still does. He will do it in your life today if you will cry out to him. But don't keep doing it. Don't keep learning the same lesson. Isn't that dumb? Learning the same lesson? Learn the lesson once and move on. All right, so now we get to Gideon, right? And we get to at least introduce Gideon and talk about his call here, right? And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Orpha, uh, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Right now, um, <clears throat> wine presses and wheat threshing really don't go together. And here's the reason. When you thresh wheat, you find a nice high place on the mountain, and um, you get to have a nice clear slab, and you thresh your wheat, and you throw it up in the air to, to take, for the wind to take away the chaff. That's what you do. You don't go down near the wine press because the wine press is an enclosed area, and the wine press is for pressing the grapes so that you squeeze the juice out of them. But he's down at the wine press doing it for fear of the Midianites. In other words, if the Midianites see me, they'll come and take my grain. 
So he's hiding from them as he does it. You know what? That farming has become pretty ineffectual. And <clears throat> Gideon is a farmer. He's not a warrior. He's a farmer. And, um, um, but circumstances and time are forcing him to do things in a bad way, in a, in, a, in a not very clever way. He's got to do it like this because otherwise he's going to lose his grain, right? Um, <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord appeared unto and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Whoa. I think that was a shock to Gideon. Uh, excuse me, who, who are you talking to here? <clears throat> uh, me, a mighty man of valor? Me, a mighty man, a warrior? Me? I'm a farmer who hides out when I thresh my grain because the Midianites are going to come and take it. I'm, I'm, I'm a mighty man? Now, there's, there's method. by the time this is done, we're going to look at him and we're going to say, what a mighty man. But he's not a mighty man of valor because he thinks he is. He becomes a mighty man because God uses him to do something great. And all the way through, it's going to be very clearly evident that it's God that's doing it. It's not Gideon. You see, God does not share his glory with us. When God does something, he wants to get the glory. When God led Israel out of Egypt, you know what? He did not. Leave anything for them to do so that they could say, yeah, well, you know what? If we hadn't helped God out, we'd still be in Egypt. No, he didn't leave anything they could say that about. Everything that happened about them coming out of Egypt was God. <clears throat> and what God's going to do now is going to be something that very clearly shows God's glory. Now, <clears throat> this one keeps coming up because this is who God is. Now, let's talk about his glory again for a second, because we sometimes get our, get our minds bent around with, with, with this thing. God is jealous of his glory. What does that mean? God wants to be seen as the doer of the deed. God wants to be known as the power behind it. God wants to get the glory. He wants people to look at him. You know, he wants, to, he wants people to see it was him that did it. You know, when it comes to the church, the church functions always on revival. Right? <clears throat> Revival is when the church is low and the church is desperately needy and the church cries out to God and God brings revival. And you know what? You can't actually, nobody can say, I did that. If you could say you did that, then you know what? That would be you taking the glory for it. It's going to be God that does it. God always does it. All of it happens by God. It's his power that does it. If we can follow that issue right through the scriptures, isn't it? It's always the glory of God. You know, that's part of the reason why God didn't let you have any part in your salvation. Well, hang on a minute, Pastor. Ever since I got saved, I've been doing the right thing and living right and so on. Well, I hope you have. But that has no part in your salvation. God saved you, lock, stock, and barrel. It's all of him. And he wants you to know that. He wants you to recognize that because when God does something... He does it for his glory. Our good is always involved in what he does because he loves us, but he does it for his glory. And we have to recognize that. The most dangerous thing in the world that you can do is come between God and his glory. That is the most dangerous thing you can do. You're going to see God react to that. He always reacts to that because he wants to be known as the one who does. You know, it's wise for us to keep passing it off. No, it's not me, it's God. I'm <clears throat> Hudson Taylor again. 
Hudson Taylor was introduced one day as the illustrious missionary Hudson Taylor who had done this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And he went to the pulpit and he stood up and he said, uh, let me say this. There's nothing illustrious about me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm translating it into modern English for you. Right? <clears throat> There's nothing illustrious about me. I am just the humble servant of a great God. What was he doing? He was making sure the glory didn't land on him. He was making sure that it didn't. Oh, listen, do that in your life always. Don't, and don't do it, you know, pretending, tendingly. Do it in reality, because it's not you, it's God. It is always God uh, that does it. It is not you. So God is taking a man who really doesn't recognize himself as a warrior, doesn't see himself as that. Uh, we're going to see that, and he's going to use him to do great things. Now, the first side of that is God wants the glory. The second side of that is really interesting to us. Do you know that God could take any one of us and do something great with us? It, it doesn't have to be that you've got it all together. It doesn't have to be that you've got it all worked out, that you've got everything in order in your life, and that you are the man or you are the woman. It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, oftentimes, the fact that we think we're in charge of the situation hinders God from doing it. It's when we come to the place where we recognize, Lord, I can't. It's impossible. Look at me, Lord, I'm a mess. That's, that's when we actually come to the place where God can take and use us. Now, you know, that's exciting because that means anybody here, God can use. Even you, Joe, you just have to be awake first. <laughs> God can take and use any one of us. Right? It's, it's not about how good we are, how bright we are, or, or, or how strong we are. It's about God taking and working in our lives. Which means the sky's the limit. Your past is irrelevant. Right? <clears throat> your strengths are irrelevant. Your abilities are irrelevant. It's God taking and doing something in your life. He can do great things. Gideon's, Gideon's a hero. By the way, when, <clears throat> we're not looking at it, but Hebrews 11, the first of the judges that's mentioned is Gideon. He's one of the greats. And, you know, God comes to him and says, Thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon is saying, let's read what Gideon says. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites? What's he doing? You know what he's doing? He's looking at his theology. Now, there's a good way you can look at theology, and there's a bad way you can look at theology. Right? And he, now he's in a bad place. He's in a, he's in a place where for seven years he's impoverished. He's threshing uh, corn by the, uh, by the um, wine press and uh, they're hiding in caves and he's in a bad place. Right? Now, but the thing about it is that even though he's in a bad place, he can, it's reasonable to question God when you're in a bad place. But there's two ways to do it. One is, Lord, you promised, what gives here? What's happening here? Lord, I don't understand. Lord, you said you'd do this. What's happening in the situation? The other is, oh yeah, God promised this, didn't happen. God promised that, didn't happen. Now listen, you can come to God with your questions. And that'll help your theology. But you can come to God with a cynical attitude, and that will destroy your theology and will destroy the people around you as well. When it doesn't look like it's working out, and you know what? What, what Gideon is saying here is very reasonable. Hang on a minute, God, listen. 
I tell you what, we came into this land and we took everything in front of us. And, and, and now the Midianites are in on top of us. What gives? God's forsaken us. What's wrong? Now God's going to explain to him and God's going to adjust what's happening, right? But he's, he's asking questions in the right vein here. But this is not a man that's filled with faith. He doesn't start off in the position where he's filled with faith. Now, by the time we see the end of this thing, he's going to be filled with faith. But right now, he's not, he's not filled with faith. You know, God can take you even if you're in the place where you're saying, Lord, I'm not sure of anything. As long as your questions are in the right vein, Lord, you promised these things. Lord, show me. God can take you, you question. Remember, remember my, I, I, I love the guy in the New Testament, and, and Jesus says, if they believe, your son can be healed. And, and the guy is so honest. He says, Lord, I believe. Help them in unbelief. Lord, I want it, but, you know, Lord, the truth is, half the time I'm not in the right place faith-wise. God can handle that. God can actually help you build your faith. Right? But you've got to come to him with the right questions. You've got to come to him in the right place and in the right way. Um, <clears throat> verse 14, And the Lord looked on him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt ha- save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Okay, now, two thoughts there. This thy might, have not I sent thee? The two go together. Gideon's might on his own is nothing. But have not I sent thee? I am sending you. Therefore, this is your might. Somebody said this, that God and one person are always a majority. All you need is to be in the place where God is taking you and using you to do something. And there's nothing you can't do. Now, you can't stick God in your back pocket and bring him along for the ride, you know, like the genie in the bottle. We want to do that sometimes, don't we? Okay, yeah, I can pray and get God to do things. You know, we stick him in the back pocket and we, and we head off out to do things and our plan, our will, our way, and God's coming along for the ride. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. God's got to be the instigator of it. God's got to be the one that's leading and guiding in it. God's got to be the one that's, that, it's got to be his plan, not your plan. Because you see, if, if you're bringing God along like the genie in the bottle, it's you and not him. So recognize, no, you know what? Listen, <clears throat> um, when I come to God and God wants to do something and I'm on the place where he can show me what he wants to do and he says, go and do it, hey, nobody can stand against me. There's no one that I, I can do it. Now here's Gideon and he starts off and he's, he's you know... <clears throat> He's terrified of the Midianites, and God's beginning to deal with him. He's asking questions, and God gives him a commission. And verse 15, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. He says, Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? I'm one of the least of the people, the least of the tribes, and and I'm the least of my father's house. Are you sure, me? Are you, are you sure you got the right guy here? And the Lord said, surely I will be with thee. Do you know, that's all that matters. God says he's with you. That's all that matters. If God's hand is on you, that's all that matters. Reading through the book of Ezra, my devotions, right? <clears throat> and Ezra's got this great phrase, according to the hand of my God upon me. That's a great phrase. If God's hand is on you to do something, if it's God's plan and God's hand is on it, listen, anything can happen. Nothing can stop you. But 
we've got to remember always it's him, not me. You see, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes we do things and it's God's will. And we're not really kind of sure how it all worked out, but we end up being in the right place and we did God's will and God blessed. You know, <clears throat> back in 2000, when the spirit of the Lord fell in the church here, um, <clears throat> the only thing we knew was we were desperate. I was probably more desperate than anybody else, but we were all a bit desperate, right? Uh, and, and God came and God did something. And you know what? It was amazing. God was doing it. Nobody knew what, what was happening. God was just doing something. God was on the move. God was doing something. God's hand was on it. That's always the way he wants it to be. We didn't know. We had no clue. We didn't orchestrate it. We didn't even ask for it. We knew we needed something, but we didn't know what we needed. And God came and did what needed to be done. And sometimes we just fall into it, and that's great. But what we need to remember is he did it. It's all of him. It wasn't our plan. It was his plan. Even, even when God puts a hunger in your heart for revival, you know it's God that puts the hunger in your heart for revival? It's all of him. It's all of God. It is he that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good will. You know, I think when we, when we get to heaven, we're going to have one tune in our mind, right? And the tune's going to be grace. You did it, Lord. You, 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 I think, you know, when we, when we pass out of here and into that, we're going to look back in our lives and we're going to say, Lord, how can you give me rewards for this? I mean, look at it. You did it. You know, uh, the best thing we've ever done in our lives is get out of God's way and let him do it. But <clears throat> we need to understand that, that, you know, listen, if God is with us and we're with him, anything is possible. Gideon could have said, and he obviously is feeling this because he's going to go to the fleece thing now uh, and talk about the fleece. Gideon could have said, Lord, I can't do this. Me? The Midianites? I don't even have an army. And he doesn't at this stage. He has no army. And who would follow me, Lord? I'm from Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. Who's going to follow me? He couldn't. But you know what? That, that wasn't an issue. That didn't matter. God said, I will be with you. If God is with you, anything is possible. Anything is possible. We've got to remember that. Never, never let our faith get diminished to the place where we think, yeah, well, you know, I mean, God did great things in the Old Testament, but this is the 21st century, you know. Come on, come on pastor, let's, let's be real here. No, <clears throat> being real is, with God, all things are possible. Now, I know that doesn't look like real, in bricks and mortar and in, in, you know, in, in roads and in tarmacadam and all the rest of it. But it is real. With God, all things are possible. There's nothing he can't do. Now, here's Israel. <clears throat> and I probably need to quit here because <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to do justice to the rest of it if, if I hit it tonight. But here's Israel. Israel's in a place where they've, uh, they've, <clears throat> they've sinned against God in disobeying him. They did their own thing and went their own way. We're going to see they've been worshipping Baal. The children of the living God worshipping Baal. That's ridiculous. Right? That's rid the, the children of the living God depending upon a dumb idol to look after them. But do you realize that anything you depend upon to look after you is an idol? God says, I want you to depend upon me. I'm able. I can take care of you. I can do it. God wants you always to look to him.
But the children are, 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 are depending upon dumb, dumb idols. God's upset with them, and God is dealing with them. He's letting the Midianites come in and cause them trouble. And they are low. They are living in caves. They are living in. They are hiding in the hills. They are trying to thresh a little bit of wheat here and get it get it eaten before the Midianites come and eat it. There, there are low. Things are low. Things are bad for them. And then they they cry out to God. Now I want you to notice what God doesn't say to them. Right. God doesn't say, well, I'll tell you what, you've done wrong for so long, I'll tell you what, you, I'm just going to leave you till, you till you straighten yourself out and you give me, show me a few years of you doing right. And if, if you do that, then I might help. Give me, give me a ring uh, when you get yourself straightened out. He doesn't do that. They cry out to him and God comes and God delivers. Now, <clears throat> He's going to use this man, Gideon, to deliver them. And we're going to see next week when we look at it, one of the tests that he, that he uses for Gideon. He wants Gideon to get things straight in his life and get things straight in the land. But you know what? God doesn't want everything sorted out and straightened out in your life. God wants you to cry out to him. That's always the first step. You know, listen, the worst day of your life, and you're far from God and doing your own thing and going your own way, if you cry out to him, he will come and deliver you. You say, Pastor, that, that makes God look a bit silly. Well, if it does, then God's a bit silly. But I don't think he is. He will deliver you. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how bad things get. It doesn't matter what you do. He will deliver you. Now, let me warn you. <clears throat> For Israel, at this point, it was seven years of mayhem. Do you want seven years of mayhem? No, you don't. Neither do I. You know, it, it's not wise for you to say, oh, okay, well, God will deliver me. I'll just go ahead and do my own thing for a while and have fun, and then he'll deliver me. No, that's not wise. You don't want mayhem in your life. But do understand that his relationship with you is such that he loves you, he will never forsake you, and he will deliver you. And when he delivers, he says to, uh, <clears throat> to Gideon, he says, listen, Gideon, Go. In the power of thy might, which is my command, and I will be with you. I'm going to go with you. Now, Gideon's not in the place where he can actually kind of bite the bullet on this and kind of run with it from right now. He's going to take him a while to get there, and we're going to see him do that. But you know what? <clears throat> God is ready right there and then to deliver the nation of Israel. God will do that in your life, too. Lord, I've done wrong. It's been wrong. It's a mess. It's, Lord, deliver me. And God says, yeah. I will. How many times will God deliver you? Well, you know what? Peter asked that question. What did Jesus say to him? 70 times 7. 490 times, Peter. Now, let me say this to you. You don't have 490 times left in your life. You realize if it's 7 years for every 490 times, you'll be long dead before you get to 490 times. You don't want to mess around with that one. You don't want to mess around and presume upon the forgiveness of God you want to get it straightened out and move in the right direction and make your life count. But God says, listen, if you come to me, if you cry out to me, I will deliver you. You see, <clears throat> we have a God that loves us and that desires to bless us. That's his very nature. His very nature, that's who he is. <clears throat> he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward. He wants you to know that about him. He wants you to know that he will forgive. He wants you to know that he will deliver. Wherever you are tonight, God says, look, 
Cry out to me. I will deliver you. I, I can fix it. I can deal with the problem. I can help. Do you need help tonight? Cry out to him. Are you going to need help in the future? Yes. You, me, and everybody in this room, cry out to him. Listen, don't keep him out of your life. You see, the promise here is I will be with you. You know what happened seven years ago? For the, Midian, for the, for the Israelites, God said, well, if you're going to worship Baal, I will not be with you. And when God was not with them, they had no protection, and the enemy came in like a host, like a horde, and impoverished them. That's what he does. God says, I won't be with you. But you know, if you cry out to God, God says, I will be with you. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Why would we hold back? Why would we live, why would we live a life that was not in that place where I will be with thee? Here, there's only one thing important to you this week. Is he with me? Lord, am I right with you? Is everything okay between you and me? That's really the only thing that's important in your life. And if he's with you, listen, you have it made. And if he's not with you, cry out to him and get it right. Get it right and walk with him. What a blessed relationship we have with him. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us tonight. Thank you for this man, Gideon, and Lord, for the word you have recorded for us, Lord. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, that you deal with your people. Lord, it's hard sometimes, but Lord, we know that if you didn't, we'd walk away and go our own way and live miserable lives without you. But Lord, you step in and you make it hurt sometimes to draw us back to you. Now, Lord, would you have mercy upon the people in this room tonight, Lord? Lord, we're no better than the Israelites. I'm convinced of that, Lord, that we're no better than them, that we make the same foolish mistakes they make, that we uh, do the same foolish things, that we depend on all the wrong things to take care of us and not on you. And Lord, would you bless tonight, Lord, and would you draw us into that sweet relationship where those that need to cry out to you tonight can cry out to you, Lord, because we know you'll answer. And Lord, would you work in each one's heart to understand, Lord, that you are a God that responds to being cried out to, so that when the day comes, that there's a distance between you and them that they can cry out to you. And, oh, Lord, if there be one in this room that does not know you as Savior, Lord, may they cry out to you too. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your blessing and your mercy. Would you be with us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.